Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Andy. Um, I've been coming to this church for about seven or eight months now, something like that. And as Paul was saying, I've been recently getting a bit more involved. So you might know my name, you might know me, but I doubt, probably I doubt many of you have heard my story where um, the, the person that I was before Jesus saved me, which is what I'm going to be sharing today. But I'm also going to be sharing a bit about my encounter with God, the experience I've had of God. And I'm also going to be sharing a little bit about what God's been doing for me in the last two years. Okay, so first off, let me just say this. This is a testimony, right? So I just want to say that Jesus is amazing. That's my testimony, okay? Like God, the, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, you know, we all need him. Okay, there's not a person on this earth that doesn't need God. And people might not realize that, but we do need him. And this side of eternity is the best time to find that out, right? Because some, some people don't, don't know it, okay? And... uh it's so like it says in the Beatitudes, it's, a, it's blessed to, to realize that you need God. Okay, so I'm believing that there's going to be someone here tonight that needs to hear this message. I'm believing that I wouldn't be stood here and God wouldn't have given me this testimony to give if there wasn't someone here that's going to hear this message and going to take it into the heart. So I'm believing if just one person gets this message, that's enough, job, job done. You know, Jesus would have gone to the cross just for one person. Jesus would have gone to the cross just for me, just for any of you. So I don't know if there's anyone in here that doesn't know Jesus. Or I don't know if people need to be stirred in the faith or, or, or what it is, but I'm believing God's going to do something in people's hearts. And, and I'd just like to start off with a, with a prayer, if that's okay. If you could all just bow your heads. You now, Father God, we just come before you. Lord, I just pray that you would, you would pour out your spirit upon your people today, God. I, I pray that we would encounter you. God, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I pray that, that your spirit would testify with their spirit that this is the truth, God. God, I, I will pray that you would do again in me, in, in, in other people today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'll start from the beginning. So, well, I'll, I'll start from telling you who I was before, before, uh, before I was saved. So literally like the, the man that I was before Jesus saved me, well, this is it. I was a drug addict. I was a completely lost and hopeless drug addict. I was completely lost, bound in addiction. I was addicted to heroin, crack cocaine. I was addicted to alcohol at some points in my life. There's, there's not a drug on this earth that I probably, well, there probably is, but there's, there's very few drugs that I haven't tr- probably tried and had a problem with. You know, I just seem to be one of them people and uh, this is the person I was before Jesus saved me. I was homeless. I was actually a tramp, as what society would call a tramp. Someone picking, you know, cigarette butts off the floor. Someone that's lost all dignity, you know, shame. I didn't understand the meaning of the word shame. I would go up to any person in the street and just ask them for change because I needed my fix, I needed my drugs. And I think you can all see that that's a different me now. Um, but that wasn't always me. And i just give you a, a, a brief so where, where I'm actually originally from, I'm from a, a, a quiet little village called the Pedembi, which is in the middle of between Barnsley and Huddersfield. And nothing really happens around there. I mean, so in my early teenage years, I was a really bored child. And uh, I grew up to no good. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I grew up to, <laughs> I did stuff like set woods on fire, things like that. Um, it sounds funny, but at the time it was really sort of, I'm just glad that I didn't have to answer for that. In, the farmer actually took me up to his field. He knew it was me took me up to his field and says, look what you've done. You know, I can't, can't plant any crops here. You know, the cows can't graze here, you know, which is better than getting done for arson, right? Because that's about a 10-year life, 10-year sentence. Uh, so I'd say that I started taking drugs probably because I was bored. But I think a lot of it was my curious nature as well. And uh, I think some of it was just that when people keep telling you not to do something, you do it anyway. Well, I did. I used to think, well, there must be something about it. So I wanted to try it. And I started getting uh, involved in all the, the minor drugs first. We call them minor drugs like cannabis and speed and ecstasy. Going to rave parties. 
And uh, my whole life became a party, one long party, uh, to the point where I had a problem with them kind of drugs before I had a problem with heroin. And it wasn't long before I graduated to, to heroin. And at this point in my life, like I say, I was brought up in a sheltered sort of village. I didn't know anything about a life of crime. There was a, the nearest shop was two miles away. So you won't think you could get drugs in a place like Upper Denver. You won't think you could get heroin. I didn't even know heroin was in this country. I, I thought it was something you seen on American TV. But you could, you, believe me, that's really naive to say you can't get drugs anywhere. There's, uh, you can get drugs absolutely anywhere. And, uh, and, and I, I graduated to heroin. Um, my dad kicked me out. My mum and dad split up when I was about 15. And then it, things took a bit of a turn for the worse as well because my mum was the one that had most of the discipline in the house. And my dad used to, shame for me to say this now, but I used to walk all over him, really. I'd be smoking weed in my room. I'd be inviting my friends around for raves. I'd be filling my room up with banging house music, you know, like in the middle of the night. And like, my dad just let me do it. Um, but then eventually enough got enough. And when I got on the heroin, like that, that was it. You know, I didn't really know how to get money for drugs. I didn't, didn't understand like, uh, the, the life of crime that I eventually got into. I, I learned that the, the hard way. Um, but I started stealing off my dad, and, and he threw me out. Oh, my sister had moved. She'd moved to London at this point. And uh, when my dad threw me out, I went to live down there. So I managed to stay clean of heroin for a couple of years. And I say clean. I've never really been clean. Not until the last four years. I've never been clean. Ever since I started taking stuff, I've always had something every day. There's not a day sober in, in like something like 20 years. There was always either smoking weed or or heroin or something, even when I went on the heroin, I was on the methadone, when I went on the methadone, I managed to say I was clean, I was snotting coke or whatever, you know, I was always taking something, so there is periods in my life where I was thinking I was doing alright, because I had a job and a flat, but I was still taking drugs and I was still lost in addiction, it just hadn't got that serious at that point, um, so yeah, I've moved around quite a lot, moved around the, the, the UK quite a lot, always running away from my problems, and the one thing that I realised was, Everywhere I went, there I was. <laughs> I was the problem. Do you know, it's like you can't run away from yourself, can you? And uh, as, as much as I tried, you know, so that realization sort of hit me. You know, it wasn't so much as revelation. It was just realization, that cold hard truth that I needed to sort myself out. And I couldn't do it. And coming towards the end, I was, I was completely, completely lost, even further in addiction. So, like I say, I moved about quite a bit. I ended up uh, getting into a relationship with some girl. And uh, I found out that she was into witchcraft. Now, this one, I didn't, I didn't know anything about witchcraft. I didn't, I, didn't believe, I didn't particularly believe in God, but I didn't particularly believe in anything else either. But I was open-minded to stuff, and I didn't realize. I used to think that was like, you know, the Harry Potter films, the Merlin films. You know, I didn't realize. I thought it was all make-believe. But she was severely into that, and it was very influential. I ended up getting involved in that. I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I was sort of, that's where my life took a turn for the worse. That was a really dark alley in my life where I took a turn down that path where I met this girl and things just started going horribly wrong for me. And uh, I was starting to, to use that stuff in my daily living. It, it wasn't good. I was very under influence of this, this girl. But there were Christians in my life and, and I, I did meet Christians from time to time. And the first time that I tell you that I ever met a proper Christian, and I say a proper Christian, I'm talking about someone who's a practicing Christian, someone that loved people, someone who's full of the Holy Spirit, something different about him. And I, I, didn't, I weren't sure where it was, but I was walking through this park in Huddersfield one time, and I, I just spent three days, my head was completely wrecked. I spent three days taking speed. Anyone that knows anything about speed, it sends you a bit mental. And after three days with no sleep, I was a bit mental. I was also needed a fix of heroin. Anyone knows what them two feelings are like? Your head's in chaos and you need a fix of heroin. That's, that's a bad day. And I was just trying to pluck up the courage to go and get some money from the streets. That's where I made my money. It was beg begging from the people of the streets. But I had the fear of people. I knew I needed to get money from people somehow. But I had the fear of people. So I was stuck in the park drinking a bottle of cider trying to get some Dutch courage to go and get some money just finished my cider and I'm walking through the park and these two guys Tom and James were called started walking towards me I'm thinking what's this guy looking at and he was smiling I'm thinking what's he want and he's like he's getting closer to me and he, I was gonna walk past him and he says hey mate he says how are you doing you all right and instead of saying yeah I'm all right I'm walking on for some reason something happened in my heart I just went 
no, I'm not all right, actually. And I started telling him all the stuff that were going on in my head, telling him all my problems and that I needed it. I was, I was in addiction. My life was falling apart. And he, he listened to me. For about 10 minutes, he listened to me. And he just says, listen, I've got a really important message for you to hear. And he says, this is probably the most, this is the most important message you're ever going to hear. He says, Jesus really loves you, right? And he says, and I want to give you a hug. We we accept a hug? And I was like, yeah, okay. And so it was a really sort of touching time because you got to put it in perspective, right? I was like, my head's in chaos. I had a beard out here. I looked like uh, I probably really stunk of stale alcohol and, you know, uh, nicotine and in the streets and whatever else. Uh, this, I'm, I'm on the streets, you know. Like I, I don't regularly take a bath on the streets, you know. And this guy wanted to hug me. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like, this is something else, you know what I mean? This guy actually wants to show me love. So they sort of became my friends. And I don't sort of mean like friends as in like hanging out with the houses or anything like that. But every time there was in town, they'd make themselves known to me that was in town. And they'd come and see me. And they spent two years trying to evangelize me. They spent two years trying to sow into me. And, uh, you know, I, I was always listening to them. But I'd always have questions at the end and say, oh, I'm not too sure I believe that. And that went on for about two years. So you got to, just put it in perspective again, you got like the, the witch speaking into that here. And then we've got the Christian speaking into this here. And uh, I don't really want to talk about any more, any more of this old life stuff, the darkness. If that's okay, I just want to push in to the good things. Okay, and, and I want to tell you, tell you a bit more about how I got saved, right? So, so it's, it's a progressive thing to start off with. I ended up, for one reason or another, I ended up pouring this guy some money and I had to go and move town. So I spent another year and a half on the streets. Last time I ever got to spend time on the streets. So this year and a half in Sheffield, then I met another Christian. And this guy was called Matthew. Now Matthew, he'd been to some sort of a Christian rehab and discipleship thing. Now he'd fallen away. I don't mean fallen away from God because he hadn't used to talk about God. But he'd fallen back into his old ways. Although he'd had an encounter with God, he'd had experiences with God. And he used to talk about it. So just one day, I'm messing about with some drugs on the floor with him. And uh, I said, do you believe in God? And he said, well, I know there's a God. I was like, really? How do you know? And I was, so no one's ever said it like that before. Yeah, actually, yeah, I know there's a God. He started telling me his experiences, and we'd end up, well, we, we became best friends. So we used to make all his money together. He'd busk, and I'd do whatever to get my money, and we'd walk off, what miles to, to, to go and score and, and, and wait and stuff. But in the meantime, I'd be talking about the Bible, and I'd be asking him questions, and I was really interested in his faith. And he always used to say, yeah, God always provides for me. <laughs> you know, it's a strange one, isn't it? He used to say, God always provides for me. At the end of the day, I always thank God for, for, for what I've got. I was like, okay. I started, started going started gonna to church on the streets so like I, I go in the same sort of me the stinking me going into into a church like here and I come in I will probably when I used to get on a bus a lot of people used to get off right see that's how bad that smell and that's how I remember that's how I just knew how bad it was and like it's a shame to say that now but you know Jesus took that shame anyway that's not me um but I'd, I came into a church like a Jesus army in Sheffield and you know there was all gracious to me and trying to tell me about God and that and you know, kind of treat me separate from everyone else. <laughs> um, but I did keep going back. And the funny thing was, I used to have respect for, I used to ring my mum up and say, Mom, I'm, I'm getting into this Jesus film. I'm getting into God. And she'd be like, well, I, I hope you do because you need something. And I'm still on drugs at the time. And, uh, you know, so I'm going backwards and forwards for drugs all week. Then on Sunday, I'm going to church. And I'm taking drugs in my pocket, but I'm making sure I don't, don't go in there out my head. And then when I finish church, I'm going back to my stairwell where I sleep on my cardboard and stuff. And I'm having my drugs and going to sleep. And that was, that was, that was it for them. And uh, I tell you, the first time I got a conviction of the Holy Spirit, I didn't know where it was. I'm sat there, I'm sat there begging under a bridge. And I'm waiting for some, some people to give me some spare change to get, to get some money to go and, go and score. And I thought, I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. And a normal protocol when I was hungry was go to a shop and steal something. And I just felt like it, that's my right. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm going to die if I don't eat. So go and, go and steal something. That's what I used to do. And so I had enough money for the, for the drugs. I was, so I went into the shop, stole a packet of peanuts, walked out, sat back down. And I just suddenly felt this guilt inside of me, like this, this conviction. I didn't know where it was. And I'm like, why do I feel like this? I want to go and give them back. 
And I thought, I'm going to get nicked if I go give them back. I'm going to, you know, if we're going and say, can I pay for these now? I'm, I'm sorry, I stole them. So I didn't want to do that. So I didn't. And I just ate the peanuts. But it was the most, that, that was the worst packet of peanuts that I've ever ate because they're just, they're, they're racked with guilt from eating them. And I, I went back and seen my mate, the Christian guy, Matthew. And he's like, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling me these things. Now, he's also telling me all kinds of stuff. He's saying, you're going to do amazing things for God. I was a junkie. You're going to do amazing things for God. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you're going to do more amazing things than I could do for God. And he's thinking, it's like three, four years later, that was a prophetic word. I just didn't know it at the time, do you know? And um, so, yes. Yeah, so, but anyway, me and Matthew ended up going to separate ways for, for, uh, for, for one, one reason or another. And I ended up in Rotherham. Um, don't know why I went to Rotherham, because I didn't have any connections in Rotherham. I'd gone from Sheffield to Rotherham, and I didn't know anyone to buy any, to buy any drugs from. So I had to go back. Every time I, I slept in Rotherham, I'd get my drugs in Sheffield and go back to Rotherham. It was really strange. I don't know why I was doing it. Uh, but obviously, I know now, God wanted me to go to Rotherham. The lighthouse was in Rotherham, right? And so I finally decided I want to get a bed. I didn't want to come off drugs. I want to get a bed. So I ended up in the lighthouse. And uh, I ended up in the, in the interview saying, you know, uh, that they're telling me that this is a Christian place. I'm saying, oh, well, I am a Christian. I can like, okay, well, there's, there's another reason why you might not want to be here. This is a place to change. This is a place where you've got to, you know, you've got to, uh, you, you've got to give up your drugs. You've got to give up alcohol. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I don't even know if I could do that, you know. But I thought, I'll give it a go just because I need a bed. I put some clean clothes on, introduced to the people, and that everyone was really nice. Even the residents were nice. The staff was nice. And there was something about these people Similar to that Tom that I met in Huddersfield that gave me the hug, there was something different about these people, and it's something that I wanted. So I started to, I started to give it a go. I got baptized. Uh, I decided to start reading my Bible on a daily basis. I started praying. I started going to church. And then one day, I got in the prayer room, and I decided to get really honest with God. God, I don't know if you're real. Like, I'm trying, I think I believe. I am believing, but there's all this doubt in my mind. And I'm kneeling before a big cross. I said, I don't even know if I'm worshipping a piece of wood on this wall. I said, God, if you're real, you need to show me something. And God sort of honored that prayer because one thing led to another. I ended up going to a different church. And I seen like a, a, a vision. A G- we went to vision. It was like a, a, a man next to the pastor that I just presumed was Jesus in the church, right next to him, just a flash on and off like that, as if a photograph taking a picture. And it started getting closer to me and coming close to me, on and off like that. Just I couldn't see it just for a split second. And I'm thinking, I could feel something different. And I'm saying, I remembered reading that Bible story about the woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. And I thought, Jesus, if you're real, I need to touch your cloak, and I need you to come here so I can be healed. And the next time, I didn't see him. I felt something, and I felt something different. We were worshiping at the time. My hands went up in the air, and I never used to do that. And I knew something had happened, but I weren't sure what. Now, a few days later, I'm having my pastoral care with one of our key workers called Chaz. And he's asking me, I'm getting on this and that. And he said, how are you getting on spiritually? I said, well, it's funny you should ask that. Something strange happened in church. I seen what looked like Jesus, and then I felt some, something spiritual happen. And he says, wow, that's amazing. He says, you, you do re- he says, you do realize, he says, God's trying to show you that there's more than, than what you can see. There's more to life than what you can see. I say, and what do you mean there's more? And he's saying, well, he says, have you been baptized? I says, yeah, in, in water. And he, he goes, not in water. Have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I didn't even know what that was. And he says, let me show you. He opened to the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, and showed me these scriptures about the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and these encounters with God. He says, you can have that today. And I just instantly believed for some reason, I just, for some childlike faith, I just, right, I'm going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? And he's like, right, well, we'll pray for you tonight. So we're having a service in the lighthouse. He says, I want you to spend all day, right, asking forgiveness for all the sins that you've done in your life. Think about all the wrongs that you've done and try and think of as many as you can. And try and keep yourself pure before God. don't know why he asked me to do that. I don't know if that's biblical. But I did it anyway. And at the end of someone else doing a testimony, it was a time for prayer. Chaz came and prayed for me. And as soon as he touched my chest, I'm not kidding, that the power of the Holy Spirit really came into me. And I felt myself being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just knew from that moment on that, that God was real. And it was like 100% now, I know you're real. And I started to, I could feel that Chaz was trying to speak. He must have sensed what was going on. He was trying to tell me to speak in tongues. 
I didn't want to do that. I was embarrassed, and I, I didn't even know if I could. But I said a few words, and something came out. And then I just shut up because I got embarrassed. But I could feel the presence of God so strong. And you know what? From, from that day, from that day, like, uh, everything changed. Like, uh, my, my passion for drugs went on to God. It's like, it's as if God seen that passion that I had for drugs and said, I want that passion. Give it to me. And overnight, I was switched to, to the passion to go to God. Um, I just want to share this scripture, actually. It's kind of relevant. It's a bit of a message within a message. Invitation to the thirsty. So this is in Isaiah 55. And uh, this is a prophetic word that was spoken like nearly 3,000 years ago. And it was recorded on paper because it's relevant to us today. So anyone that hears this word, can, it, it, this can take effect in their heart. And it's taken effect in mine. And I relate it to me being saved. So I want to read it to you. It says, Come all you are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And verse 2 says, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. So that's, that's a promise for absolutely everyone that's here. It's a promise for everyone on this earth. Any, anyone that has ears to hear this, Anyone that reads this or hears this and takes it to heart, this can take effect in their heart. And that's what, that's what God's saying here. This is like, this is like nearly a thousand years before Jesus, but it was talking about Jesus. But it was also talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, because like the living water. And it says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, the living waters. And you who have no money, come buy, eat, and drink. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Because how many of you know that God is, you don't need to pay for God. It's nothing to do with finances. This is, this is the best part. And this is a bit that really spoke to me where it says, listen, it says, why spend money on what is not bread? Why spend money on what is not bread? What was the bread that I used to, what was not bread? Heroin was not bread. Crack cocaine wasn't bread. Alcohol is not bread. Cigarettes are not bread. You know, I, I don't know what, what, what it is for you or how this could speak to you. I think you, you maybe not come from a background like mine, but it could be worldly entertainment. That's not bread. Do you know, you see, and it's saying, listen to me. It's saying, it's saying, why labor on what does not satisfy? None of this stuff ever satisfies. You know, no matter how many times I had a crack pipe, I always wanted another one straight afterwards. Do you know how many times I had a cigarette, another one straight afterwards? You know, cheap relationships or, or whatever it is. You know, whatever, worldly entertainment, it doesn't satisfy. There's only one thing, one person that can satisfy, and that's the Holy Spirit. And this is sort of what I'm talking is about this, this encounter that I had. We can all have that encounter. You know, we just have to believe. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is for everyone. This is a promise. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And I can safely say that from, from that day when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I've had contentment in my heart. There's not been a day, there has been days, let, let me just say this right, there's been times where I've not felt contentment. And them times are when I've put myself in a pattern of sin where I, I needed to readjust myself, and that's when I've not felt that contentment inside of myself. It's as if God's way of teaching me right from wrong, it's God's way of bringing me back to him. This isn't right for you, come back. And that contentment would go when I started doing sinful things or worldly stuff. And if I'm too worldly, the contentment sort of disappears. But if I start getting more spiritual and reading my Bible and spending time with the Lord, that contentment comes back and that's sort of God's way of keeping me right. So um, I'll just finish off with... Uh, it's just what's going on now. I mean, so like, I'm not going to say that I've had, any, I've, I've had an easy life since God came into my life. It's not been easy, but I've had strength to overcome stuff I couldn't do before. You know, God's grace and power. And I've had little slips here and there. That's why I ended up going to Teen Challenge. But I'll be honest with you, every time I've had a slip since, like I've only had a few in four years, nearly four years. But when I've had a slip, it's like, it's like burning your hand on a cooker. You know, you put your hand away and that's not good for me. And that's what it's like now if I ever slip. Instead of leaving my hand there to burn for years, you know. 
I don't do that anymore. I've got God living in me. And um, so because of these slips, I ended up going to Teen Challenge, but that's one of the best things I ever did. And Teen Challenge is amazing, and it challenges you in every area of your life, your attitudes, your body language, all kinds of stuff, things you didn't even, you know, you need challenging in. Your work ethic, my, my hygiene, everything, all this kind of stuff. It made me into a, a man of God. That's what he was discipling me. So i just tell you this. The Lighthouse was amazing through, I found God in the Lighthouse. And what the Lighthouse represents, the, the culture, the Jesus culture that they provide for you to grow in God there. And, and that's, where I, that's where I found a relationship with God. Then I've gone on to Teen Challenge. I've done 19 months in Teen Challenge. I was discipled by Jesus in Teen Challenge. It's more of a discipleship course than a rehab, really. You know, there's no, there's no drugs in Teen Challenge. It's more about discipleship, spending time in the Bible, chapel, and or just applying the Bible to your life. Um, so I did 19 months there, which was a bit longer than most people would stay there. But I sort of knew within me that it wasn't God's will for me to leave until I did actually leave. And, and people, people was leaving after 10 and a half months, and that's it. You can leave after 10 and a half months. So I stayed on and did the voluntary staff. I stayed on for longer than that. And in the end, I felt God opened the door and said, go to the lighthouse. So I went to the lighthouse, and, and Darren offered me a job in Shirebrook. So now that's what I do. I've been doing it for nearly 11 months. Um, I graduated from Teen Challenge September last year. I've been doing it for about 11 months now. And, uh, you know, I just get to, to love people for a living. I get to do what they did for me in the first place and what they represented, which was drew me into that relationship with God and got me on this path. That's what I get to do. So, so, so just a real privilege, you know, to, to, to be doing that. Um, so, yeah, I think that just takes us to, to here. I'm Andy. Um, I've been coming to this church for about seven or eight months now, something like that. And as Paul was saying, I've been recently getting a bit more involved. So you might know my name, you might know me, but I doubt, probably I doubt many of you have heard my story where um, the, the person that I was before Jesus saved me, which is what I'm going to be sharing today. But I'm also going to be sharing a bit about my encounter with God, the experience I've had of God. And I'm also going to be sharing a little bit about what God's been doing for me in the last two years. Okay, so first off, let me just say this. This is a testimony, right? So I just want to say that Jesus is amazing. That's my testimony, okay? Like God, the, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, you know, we all need him. Okay, there's not a person on this earth that doesn't need God. And people might not realize that. But we do need him. And this side of eternity is the best time to find that out, right? Because some, some people don't, don't know it, okay? And uh, it's like it says in the Beatitudes, it's, it's blessed to, to realize that you need God, okay? So I'm believing that there's going to be someone here tonight that needs to hear this message. I'm believing that I wouldn't be stood here and God wouldn't have given me this testimony to give if there wasn't someone here that's going to hear this message and going to take it into the heart. So I'm believing if just one person gets this message, that's enough, job, job done. You know, Jesus would have gone to the cross just for one person. Jesus would have gone to the cross just for me, just for any of you. So I don't know if there's anyone in here that doesn't know Jesus, or I don't know if people need to be stirred in the faith or, or, or what it is, but I'm believing God's going to do something in people's hearts. And, and I'd just like to start off with a, with a prayer, if that's okay. If you could all just bow your heads. Now, Father God, we just come before you. Lord, I just pray that you would you pour out your spirit upon your people today, God. I, I pray that we would encounter you. God, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I pray that, that your spirit would testify with their spirit that this is the truth, God. God, I, I will pray that you would do again in me, in, in, in other people today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... I'll start from the beginning. So, well, I'll, I'll start from telling you who I was before, before, uh, before I was saved. So literally, like, the, the man that I was before Jesus saved me, well, this is it. I was a drug addict. I was a completely lost and hopeless drug addict. I was completely lost, bound in addiction. I was addicted to heroin, crack cocaine. I was addicted to alcohol at some points in my life. There's, there's not a drug on this earth that I probably, well, there probably is, but... There's very few drugs that I haven't tr probably tried and had a problem with. You know, I just seem to be one of them people. And uh, this is the person I was before Jesus saved me. I was homeless. I was actually a tramp. as what society would call a tramp. Someone picking, you know, cigarette butts off the floor. Someone that's lost all dignity. You know, shame 
I didn't understand the meaning of the word shame. I would go up to any person in the street and just ask them for change because I needed my fix, I needed my drugs. And I think you can all see that that's a different me now. Um, but that wasn't always me. And i just give you a, a, a brief. So where, where I'm actually originally from, I'm from a, a, a quiet little village called the Pedembe, which is in the middle between Barnsley and Huddersfield. And nothing really happens around there. I mean, so in my early teenage years, I was a really bored child. And uh, I got up to no good. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I got up to, <laughs> I did stuff like set woods on fire, things like that. Um, it sounds funny, but at the time it was really sort of, I'm just glad that I didn't have to answer for that. And the farmer actually took me up to his field. He knew it was me. Took me up to his field and says, look what you've done. You know, I can't, can't plant any crops here. You know, the cows can't graze here. You know, which is better than getting done for arson, right? Because that's about a 10-year ten ten sentence. Uh, so yeah, I'd say that I started taking drugs probably because I was bored. But I think a lot of it was my curious nature as well. And uh, I think some of it was just that when people keep telling you not to do something, you do it anyway. Well, I did. I used to think, well, there must be something about it. So I wanted to try it. And I started getting uh, involved in all the, the minor drugs first. So you call them minor drugs like cannabis and speed and ecstasy, going to rave parties. And uh, my whole life became a party, one long party, uh, to the point where I had a problem with them kind of drugs before I had a problem with heroin. And it wasn't long before I graduated to, to heroin. And at this point in my life, like I say, I was brought up in a sheltered sort of village. I didn't know anything about a life of crime. There was a, there was a shop was two miles away. So you won't think you could get drugs in a place like Upper Denver. You won't think you could get heroin. I didn't even know heroin was in this country. I, I thought it was something you seen on American TV. But you could, you, believe me, that's really naive to say you can't get drugs anywhere. There's, uh, you can get drugs absolutely anywhere. And, uh, and, and I, I graduated to heroin. Um, my dad kicked me out. My mum and dad split up when I was about 15. And then it, things took a bit of a turn for the worse as well because my mum was the one that had most of the discipline in the house. And my dad used to, it's shame for me to say this now, but I used to walk, walk all over him really. I'd be smoking weed in my room. I'd be inviting my friends around for raves. I'd be filling my room up with banging house music, you know, like in the middle of the night. And like, my dad just let me do it. Um, but then eventually enough got enough. And when I got on the heroin, like that, that was it. You know, I didn't really know how to get money for drugs. I didn't, didn't understand like, uh, the, the life of crime that I eventually got into. I, I learned that the, the hard way. Um, but I started stealing off my dad and, and he threw me out. Oh, my sister had moved... She'd moved to London at this point, and uh, when my dad threw me out, I went to live down there. So I managed to stay clean of heroin for a couple of years, and I say clean, I've never really been clean. Not until the last four years, I've never been clean. Ever since I started taking stuff, I've always had something every day. There's not a day sober in, in like something like 20 years. There was always either smoking weed or, or heroin or something. Even when I went on the heroin, I was on the methadone. When I went on the methadone, I managed to say I was clean. I was snotting coke or whatever. Do you know, I was always taking something. So there is periods in my life where I was thinking I was doing all right because I had a job and a flat, but I was still taking drugs and I was still lost in addiction. It just hadn't got that serious at that point. Um, so, yeah, I've moved around quite a lot, moved around the, the, the UK quite a lot, always running away from my problems. And the one thing that I realized was Everywhere I went, there I was. <laughs> I was the problem. Do you know, it's like you can't run away from yourself, can you? And uh, as, as much as I tried, you know, so that realization sort of hit me. You know, it wasn't so much as revelation. It was just realization, that cold hard truth that I needed to sort myself out. And I couldn't do it. And coming towards the end, I was, I was completely, completely lost, even further in addiction. So, like I say, I moved about quite a bit. I ended up uh, getting into a relationship with some girl. And uh, I found out that she was into witchcraft. Now, this one, I didn't, I didn't know anything about witchcraft. I didn't, I, didn't believe, I didn't particularly believe in God, but I didn't particularly believe in anything else either. But I was open-minded to stuff. And I didn't realize, I used to think that was like, you know, the Harry Potter films, the Merlin films. You know, I didn't really, I thought it was all make-believe. But she was severely into that, and it was very influential. I ended up getting involved in that. I'm not going to talk too much about that, but I was sort of, that's where my life took a turn for the worst. That was a really dark alley in my life where I took a turn down that path where I met this girl and things just started going horribly wrong for me. And uh, I was starting to, to use that stuff in my daily living. It, it wasn't good. I was very under influence of this, this girl. 
But there were Christians in my life, and, and I, I did meet Christians from time to time. And the first time that I tell you that I ever met a proper Christian, and I say a proper Christian, I'm talking about someone who's a practicing Christian, someone that loved people, someone who's full of the Holy Spirit, something different about him. And I, I, think I weren't sure where it was, but I was walking through this park in Huddersfield one time, and I, I just spent three days, my head was completely wrecked, I spent three days taking speed. Anyone that knows anything about speed, it sends you a bit mental. And after three days with no sleep, I was a bit mental. <clears throat> I was also needed a fix of heroin. Anyone knows what them two feelings are like? Your head's in chaos and you need a fix of heroin. That's, that's a bad day. And I was just trying to pluck up the courage to go and get some money from the streets. That's where I made my money. It was beg- begging from the people of the streets. But I had the fear of people. I knew I needed to get money from people somehow. But I had the fear of people. So I was stuck in the park drinking a bottle of cider, trying to get some Dutch courage to go and get some money. Just finished my cider, and I'm walking through the park, and these two guys, Tom and James were called, started walking towards me. I'm thinking, what's this guy looking at? And he was smiling. I'm thinking, what's he want? And he's like, he's getting closer to me. And he, I was going to walk past him, and he says, hey, mate. He says, how are you doing? You all right? And instead of saying, yeah, I'm all right, I'm walking on, for some reason, something happened in my heart. I just went, no, I'm not all right, actually. And I started telling him all the stuff that were going on in my head telling him all my problems and that I needed it. I was, I was in addiction. My life was falling apart. And he, he listened to me. For about 10 minutes, he listened to me. And he just says, listen, I've got a really important message for you to hear. And he says, this is probably the most, this is the most important message you're ever going to hear. He says, Jesus really loves you, right? And he says, and I want to give you a hug. We we accept a hug? And I was like, yeah, okay. And so it was a really sort of touching time because you got to put it in perspective, right? I was like, my head's in chaos. I had a beard out here. I looked like uh, I probably really stunk of stale alcohol and, you know, uh, nicotine and, and the streets and whatever else. Uh, this, I'm on the streets, you know. Like I, I don't regularly take a bath on the streets, you know. And this guy wanted to hug me. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like, this is something else, you know what I mean? This guy actually wants to show me love. So they sort of became my friends. And I don't sort of mean like friends as in like hanging out with the houses or anything like that. But every time they was in town, they'd make themselves known to me that was in town. And they'd come and see me. And they spent two years trying to evangelize me. They spent two years trying to sow into me. And, uh, you know, I, I was always listening to them. But I'd always have questions at the end and say, I'm not too sure I believe that. And like, that went on for about two years. So you got to, just to put it in perspective again, you got like the, the witch speaking into that here. And then we've got the Christian speaking into this here. And uh, I don't really want to talk about any more, any more of this old life stuff, the darkness. If that's okay, I just want to push in to the good things, okay? And, and I want to tell you, tell you a bit more about how I got saved, right? So, so it's, it's a progressive thing to start off with. I ended up, for one reason or another, I ended up pouring this guy some money and I had to go and move town. So I spent another year and a half on the streets. Last time I ever had to spend time on the streets. So this year and a half in Sheffield, and I met another Christian, and this guy was called Matthew. Now, Matthew, he'd been to some sort of a Christian rehab and discipleship thing. Now, he'd fallen away. I don't mean fallen away from God because he hadn't he used to talk about God. But he'd fallen back into his old ways, although he'd had an encounter with God. He'd had experiences with God, and he used to talk about it. So, just one day, I'm messing about with some drugs on the floor with him. And uh, I said, do you believe in God? And he said... Well, I know there's a God. I was like, really? How do you know? And I was, so no one's ever said it like that before. Yeah, actually, yeah, I know there's a God. He started telling me his experiences, and we'd end up, well, we, we became best friends. So we used to make all his money together. He'd busk, and I'd do whatever to get my money, and we'd walk off, what miles to, to, to go and score and, and wait and stuff. But in the meantime, I'd be talking about the Bible, and I'd be asking him questions, and I was really interested in his faith. And he always used to say, yeah, God always provides for me. <laughs> you know, it's a strange one, isn't it? He used to say, God always provides for me. At the end of the day, I always thank God for, for, for what I've got. I was like, okay. I started, started going started to church on the streets. So, like, I, I go in the same sort of me, the stinking me, going into, into a church like here. And I come in, I would probably, when I used to get on a bus, a lot of people used to get off. Right? So that's how bad that smell. And that's how I, rem- that's how I just knew how bad it was. And like, it's a shame to say that now, but you know, Jesus took that shame. Anyway, that's not me. Um, but I came into a church like the Jesus Army in Sheffield, 
And, you know, they was all gracious to me and trying to tell me about God and that and, you know, kind of treat me separate from everyone else. <laughs> um, but I did keep going back. And the funny thing was, I used to have respect for, I used to ring my mum up and say, Mom, I'm, I'm getting into this Jesus thing. I'm getting into God. And she'd be like, well, I, I hope you do because you need something. And I'm still on drugs at the time. And, uh, you know, so I'm going backwards and forwards for drugs all week. Then on Sunday, I'm going to church. And I'm taking drugs in my pocket. But I'm making sure I don't, don't go in there without my head. And then when I finish church, I'm going back to my stairwell where I sleep on my cardboard and stuff. And I'm having my drugs and going to sleep. And that was, that was, that was it for them. And uh, I tell you, the first time I got a conviction of the Holy Spirit, I didn't know what it was. I'm sat there, I'm sat there begging under a bridge. And I'm waiting for some, some people to give me some spare change to get, to get some money to go and, go and score. And I thought, I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. And a normal protocol when I was hungry was go to a shop and steal something. And I just felt like it. That's my right. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm going to die if I don't eat. So go and, go and steal something. That's what I used to do. And so I had enough money for the, for the drugs. I was, so I went into the shop, stole a packet of peanuts, walked out, sat back down. And I just suddenly felt this guilt inside of me, like this, this conviction. I didn't know where it was. And I'm like, why do I feel like this? I want to go and give them back. And I thought, I'm going to get nicked if I go give them back. I'm going to, you know, if we're going to say, can I pay for these now? I'm, I'm sorry, I stole them. So I didn't want to do that. So I didn't. And I just ate the peanuts. But it was the most, that, that was the worst packet of peanuts that I've ever ate because they're just, they're, they're racked with guilt from eating them. And I, I went back and seen my mate, the Christian guy, Matthew. And he's like, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling me these things. Now, he's also telling me all kinds of stuff. He's saying, you're going to do amazing things for God. I was a junkie. You're going to do amazing things for God. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you're going to do more amazing things than I could do for God. And he's thinking, it's like three, four years later, that was a prophetic word. I just didn't know it at the time, do you know? And um, so, yes. Yeah, so, but anyway, me and Matthew ended up going in separate ways for, for, uh, for, for one reason or another. And I ended up in Rotherham. Um, don't know why I went to Rotherham. Because I didn't have any connections in Rotherham. I'd gone from Sheffield to Rotherham. And I didn't know anyone to buy any, to buy any drugs from. So I had to go back. Every time I, I slept in Rotherham, I'd get my drugs in Sheffield and go back to Rotherham. It was really strange. I don't know why I was doing it. Uh, but obviously I know now. God wanted me to go to Rotherham. The lighthouse was in Rotherham, right? And so I finally decided I want to get a bed. I didn't want to come off drugs. I want to get a bed. So I ended up in the lighthouse. And uh, I ended up in the, in the interview saying, you know, uh, they're telling me that this is a Christian place. I'm saying, oh, well, I am a Christian. I can like, okay, well, there's, there's another reason why you might not want to be here. This is a place to change. This is a place where you've got to, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to give up your drugs. You've got to give up alcohol. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I don't even know if I could do that, you know. But I thought, I'll give it a go just because I need a bed. I put some clean clothes on, introduced to the people. And everyone was really nice. Even the residents were nice. The staff was nice. And there was something about these people Similar to that Tom that I met in Huddersfield that gave me the hug, there was something different about these people, and it's something that I wanted. So I started to, I started to give it a go. I got baptized. Uh, I decided to start reading my Bible on a daily basis. I started praying. I started going to church. And then one day, I got in the prayer room, and I decided to get really honest with God. God, I don't know if you're real. Like, I'm trying, I think I believe. I am believing, but there's all this doubt in my mind. And I'm kneeling before a big cross. And I said, I don't even know if I'm worshipping a piece of wood on this wall. I said, God, if you're real, you need to show me something. And God sort of honored that prayer because one thing led to another. I ended up going to a different church. And I seen like a, a, a vision. A G- we went to vision. It was like a, a, a man next to the pastor that I just presumed was Jesus in the church, right next to him, just a flash on and off like that, as if a photograph taking a picture. And it started getting closer to me and coming close to me, on and off like that. Just I couldn't see it just for a split second. And I'm thinking, I could feel something different. And I'm saying, I remember reading that Bible story about the woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. And I thought, Jesus, if you're real, I need to touch your cloak, and I need you to come here so I can be healed. And the next time, I didn't see him. I felt something, and I felt something different. We were worshiping at the time. My hands went up in the air, and I never used to do that. And I knew something had happened, but I weren't sure what. Now, a few days later, I'm up in my pastoral care with one of our key workers called Chaz. And he's asking me, I'm getting on this and that. And he said, how are you getting on spiritually? I said, well, it's funny you should ask that. Something strange happened in church. I seen what looked like Jesus, 
And then I felt some, something spiritual happen. And he says, wow, that's amazing. He says, you, you do he says, you do realize, he says, God's trying to show you that there's more than, than what you can see. There's more to life than what you can see. I say, what do you mean there's more? And he's saying, well, he says, have you been baptized? I says, yeah, in, in water. And he, he goes, not in water. Have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I didn't even know what that was. And he says, let me show you. He opened to the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, and showed me these scriptures about the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and these encounters with God. He says, you can have that today. And I just instantly believed, for some reason, I just, for some childlike faith, I just, right, I'm going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? And he's like, right, well, we'll pray for you tonight. So we're having a service in the lighthouse. He says, I want you to spend all day, right, asking forgiveness for all the sins that you've done in your life. Think about all the wrongs that you've done and try and think of as many as you can. Try and keep yourself pure before God. Don't know why he asked me to do that. I don't know if that's biblical. But I did it anyway. And at the end of someone else doing a testimony, there was a time for prayer. Chaz came and prayed for me. And as soon as he touched my chest, I'm not kidding, that the power of the Holy Spirit really came into me. And I felt myself being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just knew from that moment on that, that God was real. And it was like 100% now. I know you're real. And I started to... I could feel that Chaz was trying to speak. He must have sensed what was going on. He was trying to tell me to speak in tongues. I didn't want to do that. I was embarrassed, and I didn't even know if I could. But I said a few words, and something came out. And then I just shut up because I got embarrassed. But I could feel the presence of God so strong. And you know what? From, from that day, from that day, like, uh, everything changed. Like, uh, my, my passion for drugs went on to God. It's like, it's as if God seen that passion that I had for drugs and said, I want that passion, give it to me. And overnight, I was switched to, to the passion to go to God. Um, I just want to share this scripture, actually. It's kind of relevant. It's a bit of a message within a message. Invitation to the thirsty. So this is in Isaiah 55. And uh, this is a prophetic word that was spoken like nearly 3,000 years ago. And it was recorded on paper because it's relevant to us today. So anyone that hears this word, can, it, it, this can take effect in their heart. And it's took an effect in mine. And I, I relate it to me being saved. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, Come all you are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. And verse 2 says, Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. So that's, that's a promise for absolutely everyone that's here. It's a promise for everyone on this earth. Any, anyone that has ears to hear this, Anyone that reads this or hears this and takes it to heart, this can take effect in their heart. And that's what, that's what God's saying here. This is like, this is like nearly a thousand years before Jesus, but it was talking about Jesus. But it was also talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, because it's like the living water. And it says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, the living waters. And you who have no money, come buy, eat, and drink. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Because how many of you know that God, is, you don't need to pay for God. It's nothing to do with finances. This is, this is the best part. And this is a bit that really spoke to me where it says, listen. On, it says, why spend money on what is not bread? Why spend money on what is not bread? What was the bread that I used to, what was not bread? Heroin was not bread. Crack cocaine wasn't bread. Alcohol is not bread. Cigarettes are not bread. You know, I, I don't know what, what, what it is for you or how this could speak to you. I don't you may be not come from a background like mine, but it could be worldly entertainment. That's not bread. Do you know? You see, and it's saying, listen to me. It's saying, it's saying, why labor on what does not satisfy? None of this stuff ever satisfies. You know, no matter how many times I had a crack pipe, I always wanted another one straight afterwards. Do you know how many times I had a cigarette, another one straight afterwards? You know, cheap relationships or, or whatever it is. You know, whatever, worldly entertainment, it doesn't satisfy. There's only one thing, one person that can satisfy, and that's the Holy Spirit. And this is sort of what I'm talking is about this, this encounter that I had. We can all have that encounter. You know, we just have to believe. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is for everyone. This is a promise. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. 
And I can safely say that from, from that day when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I've had contentment in my heart. There's not been a day, which there has been days, let, let me just say this right, there's been times where I've not felt contentment. And them times are when I've put myself in a pattern of sin where I, I needed to readjust myself, and that's when I've not felt that contentment inside of myself. It's as if God's way of teaching me right from wrong, it's God's way of bringing me back to him. This isn't right for you, come back. And that contentment would go when I started doing sinful things or worldly stuff. And if I'm too worldly, the contentment sort of disappears. But if I start getting more spiritual and reading my Bible and spending time with the Lord, that contentment comes back and that's sort of God's way of keeping me right. So um, I'll just finish off with... uh, was just what's going on now. I mean, so like, I'm not going to say that I've had, any, I've, I've had an easy life since God came into my life. It's not been easy, but I've had strength to overcome stuff I couldn't do before. You know, God's grace and power. And I've had little slips here and there. That's why I ended up going to Teen Challenge. But I'll be honest with you, every time I've had a slip since, like I've only had a few in four years, nearly four years. But when I've had a slip, it's like, it's like burning your hand on a cooker. Do you know? You pull your hand away and that's not good for me. And that's what it's like now if I ever slip. Instead of leaving my hand there to burn for years, you know? I don't do that anymore. I've got God living in me. And um, so because of these slips, I ended up going to Teen Challenge. But that's one of the best things I ever did. You know, teen Challenge is amazing. And it challenges you in every area of your life. Your attitudes, your body language, all kinds of stuff. Things you didn't even, need, you know, you need challenging in. Your work ethic, my, my hygiene, everything, all this kind of stuff, it made me into a, a man of God. That's what it was, disciple me. So i just tell you this, the lighthouse was amazing through, I found God in the lighthouse and what the lighthouse represents, the, the culture, the Jesus culture that they provide for you to grow in God there. And, and that's, where I, that's where I found a relationship with God. Then I've gone on to Teen Challenge. I've done 19 months in Teen Challenge. I was discipled by Jesus in Teen Challenge. It's more of a discipleship course than a rehab, really. You know, there's no, there's no drugs in Teen Challenge. It's more about discipleship, spending time in, in the Bible, chapel, and or just applying the Bible to your life. Um, so I did 19 months there, which was a bit longer than most people would stay there. But I sort of knew within me that it wasn't God's will for me to leave until I did actually leave. And, and people, people was leaving after 10 and a half months. And that's it. You can leave after 10 and a half months. I stayed on and did the voluntary staff. I stayed on for longer than that. And in the end, I felt God open the door and said, go to the lighthouse. So I went to the lighthouse and, and Darren offered me a job in Shirebrook. So now that's what I do. I've been doing it for nearly 11 months. Um, I graduated from Teen Challenge September last year. I've been doing it for about 11 months now. And uh, you know, I just get to, to love people for a living. I get to do what they did for me in the first place and what they represented, which was drew me into that relationship with God and got me on this path. That's what I get to do. So, so, so just a real privilege you know, to, to, to be doing that. Um, so yeah, I think that just takes us to, to here.